Welcome to Politics Considered, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. I am back on location in Florida with Tom Miller. This is part two of my Tom Miller show, you might say. I'm not going to read his bio. Please listen to part one or check out his Wikipedia page. Hi, Tom. How are you? Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. We we talked in part one about how laughter is good for your immune system, and so we're going to laugh again. So speaking of Wikipedia, I read on your extensive, I might add, Wikipedia page that you were a plaintiff in a 1995 First Amendment lawsuit um, in which the city lost. I assume that's the city of Gainesville, um, both on its initial filing and on appeal. So what was this lawsuit all about? Well, I've been the host of what has become known as the Gainesville Hemp Fest for decades. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big effort. It's been a big effort all over the country. But the Gainesville Hemp Fests are particularly renowned uh, for this idea of promoting freedom for people to be able to use marijuana for fuel, food, fiber, medicine, and recreation. And this was before everybody had a medical marijuana card. Oh, my God. They're getting, if they're getting a medical marijuana card and they're able to buy pot, on their local oh, block, anybody can get one. they can just say thank you to all the hemp fests that happened all over the country, but they certainly can include. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. On no behalf problem. of everybody. So I'm when, when but, was the first hemp fest? Uh, I, roughly. I roughly. don't remember. I, I'd like to say 1995. I mean, this it is It was all, before it was legalized. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a, it was a, a hassle. And we used to work with uh, Jack Herrera, who wrote a very, uh, a, a fairly notorious and um, um, provocative uh, book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that started it. And Jack Herrera was a major activist. And, you know, Michael Geisen um, was our local local rabble-rouser for, for marijuana. These are, you know, and Merle Watkins, without a doubt, he's he's the doobie tosser But it became, it became more mainstream as it went on. I remember going to one, not it, that, you know, not that I was doing anything illegal, but it was just a fun event. Uh, it was a fun event with music and education, but, you know, we, we always uh, like to do a little civil disobedience. And so uh, plenty of marijuana would get out into the crowd and it would smell like smoke because everybody was smoking. Imagine so, that. So, so what was the lawsuit about? So the law, the law, one year we wanted to do it and there had been some complaints about uh, us having a forum for free speech. And so at first they agreed, you know, to let us have the downtown plaza for our event, and then they denied it. Oh. And so we sued them because uh, freedom of assembly and so forth. And uh, they... Who was your attorney? They, uh, well, uh, it was uh, Gary... Edinger. Gary Edinger. Oh, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. one of, he was pretty much one of our main attorneys. We had a bit of a team. He was like an ACLU attorney. He was great fun. That yeah. guy was a wild man. Yeah. Um, but we beat them. And then they appealed. And then they lost again. And they were complaining that we were somehow making the city lose money. No, people would come downtown, and get high, money. go to all the, all the, because <laughs> they were, they were starving. Yeah. You know, they're high, they want to eat. Oh they go God. to all the restaurants and, you know, you think only poor people smoke marijuana? Yeah, yeah. Everybody smokes marijuana. And, and they spend money. They spend tons of money. It was always a boon to the, to was the, it to a, the city. I mean, it was a different time. Was it a more conservative city council? Well, at that, you know, at the time of this lawsuit, the city council had 163 police officers dedicated 
to our event. We had like 300 people and the oh officers were in riot gear and they were directed that if two people were having a conversation, no problem. If three people were having a conversation, the officer in his riot gear was directed to stand in between the people talking and fold their arms over and you know be an intimidating was, presence. Was that part of your lawsuit or was it just being denied the permit? No, that's just the way that's just the way it was. I mean, it, it was part of you know, the lawsuit was being denied a permit and they they lost twice and and we did our event the way we always do but they the do you remember the, the judge or anything no okay. I, don't, I know it's been a long time no, so I, how far short term memory you know far, when you smoke a lot of weed how far, i wouldn't know anything about <laughs> how far did they appeal uh they just appealed once and they lost and then they're just like oh just let them do it and get it over with and then were you able to get the permit every year um you know there's always hassles to getting the permit and hassles to doing the show i must say in defense in defense of the, of the city uh, of, of, of the city and the, and the police, most of the time bef- before and after some of these contentious things, uh, the police were, were much kinder to us. But you know you can monitor this kind of event, allow for free speech and this, I, this idea of physically standing between people to prevent them from talking that, that was that was well and you know un- un-American. I, I hate to editorialize because this show is not right wing or left wing. We have no wings, we can't fly. but these seem like gentle, loving people. It's not like proud boys or people with guns or oh they accused us of they accused us of, of riotous behavior. <laughs> and if you look at the video and these are unarmed people smoking pot. They're just unarmed people. Look, they arrested they arrested Elvie Musica, okay? Elvie Musica was a lady who had a legal prescription for pot for her glaucoma. She's an old lady. She needs like a cane to walk on stage. Oh. And it took like four cops to take her down. And and she was actually basically she was taking her medication in a that was legal for her to do. She's one of the first people to get legalized smokable marijuana. And she took her medication on stage oh. and the cops said, Up, oh, she lit up, get her, get her. And, and did they uh, take her to the jail? They sure did, yeah. They, and did, did you guys get her out? Was it expunged? They, they arrested a bunch of people, and then uh, uh, Michael Geisen went up and said, we are going to peacefully march down to the police station, and we are going to assemble at the police station until the prisoners are released. And so you see video of us walking. Well, I didn't go. I stayed, I stayed at the stage in case I had to do any more hosting. Yeah. <laughs> but... You see, you see people, stoned people, <laughs> quietly walking down the street, and the cops are like, they're rioting, you know? <laughs> they're just quietly walking down yeah. the street. It was so cool and Meandering. so laid back. Yes. And uh, anyway, in the long run, you know, it was Chief Wayland Clifton, okay? He had a lot of pressure on him from the conservative city commission, and they had a lot of pressure on them from one or two, you know, just, just busybody people who just... just you can't do something I don't like, you know. You can't do something I don't like even if you do it in your house because I don't like it. Waylon Clifton and I became uh, friends later. He really, really led this town when we had the serial killer come through here. It was largely due to his leadership that oh people didn't completely flip out. I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's yeah. dark, but tell us the name of the serial killer again, serial killer. Oh, Danny Rollins. Danny Rollins. And, and it was it was sort of like the Ted Bundy F at, at Tallahassee. Yeah, was it, the... it was really a, an awful, scary time. Oh. And... Uh, you know, it, it just it just goes to the nature of of uh, of how people can be when they live in fear. Fear makes people irrational, and and it, it, it's true what they say in Dune that fear is the mind killer. All you know what violence is? Fear. 
Violence, the heart of any violence or any violent activity comes from fear of losing something or fear of the unknown. And basically, if you see a very violent person that wants you to stop doing whatever it is you're doing because because they don't agree with it and it's perfectly, it's because they're in fear. So, you know, I thought I would have a trouble with this segue, but actually this is a good segue, um, fear. So let's talk about this dangerous uh, polarization in the United States and these silos. I heard a minister recently say, well, he told everybody that a, that, um, a congregant said that the minister did not listen to him. And, you know, I know this minister and he's a good listener. So, and the minister said that he actually did listen intently and he, but he told the congregant that he did not agree with him. So the guy conflated disagreement with not listening. And, you know, this naive realism. So naive realism is where people think that everyone should see everything as they see it. And if they don't see it their way, people aren't listening to them or they're stupid. They're a libtard or dumbass mag or whatever. So what are your thoughts on all of this? Um, here's the deal. Words flow out the mouth with the brain following. I think more listening is required and I think the brain should start, you know. I know a few introverts that do have the brain going first and before they talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to talk first. Well, you know that whole thing count to 10? Okay, that's, that's nice advice and all, but thematically what it means is take a moment to hear what has been said and think about it and then think about what you're gonna say and if once you, once you get organized, then say it. I hear and, you. I hear you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. We will not be fighting today. Uh, but the problem is that people are very moved by passion and emotion. And when emotion gets into it, people tend to do things and say things that they wouldn't normally say. Add to that the fact that most of our communication is on social media. Uh. Now, you and I are standing here in front of each other. So if we talk, you get the benefit of three things. Visually, my appearance, my face. Tonality, you get tonality, and then you get my words. In, in language, words are about 10% of the communication. The rest of the communication is maybe 40% what I see, how I see you, you know, respond to me, and then 50% tonality. So if most of your communication is done online, you don't have 90% of the communication going. Yeah, people, so, people remember how you made them feel, not what you said. Right. But to that point, I'm going to sound like an old man kvetching. All of this <laughs> texting, you know, I had, I actually emailed a colleague and I, oh no, I called a colleague on the phone. You know, there's this thing called the phone yeah. where you talk. I've heard of them. Yeah. And I called the colleague <laughs> and I said, can you please call me back? I want to ask you a few questions. And he emailed me and he said, please email me your questions. And I, I didn't. I, there's some things I don't want to put in email because everything can end up on a billboard. And I just, how do you feel about this? People won't call people or talk on the phone. Like I said, the best you can do is, is to talk to somebody face-to-face, mano-a-mano, because then you have what we call in the screenwriting business, the, the stakes are raised. You have something to lose. If I'm sitting in front of you, you might not say something that you would say in the privacy of your room because you might be worried that, you know, you might get a beating. 
<laughs> um, but on the other hand, I might get worried that I get in trouble for beating you. <laughs> and yeah. so when people are face-to-face, especially in public, and you get the benefit of the dialogue, the tonality, and the visual um, I'm looking you things, in the eye. We're going we're gonna to have a better conversation. So if, if I look, sarcasm doesn't work. For example, oh, I know people who know. have said, "God, you you suck," oh. and and they meant it completely as a oh, joke. Tom. They figured the other person would get it, and the other person's like, "Holy shit, this guy hates me." You know what? I ban you from talking to me again. I had a text with an old friend, and he got offended right away. And it's like, and, yeah, and it's like because. I didn't mean that was not the intention. It was a text. And so I think, so texts are efficient for certain things. Emails are efficient. But I think one solution is to text somebody and say, hey, when are you free to talk? People like to have an appointment to talk, which Mm -hmm. is okay. But I I feel very comfortable here talking to you. Well, if two people are talking, however they talk, it's better that they talk than not talk. But if they're talking, it's better if the quality of what's available to discern one from the other is better. So if they're talking in person, you get everything. You get the words, you get the tonality, you get the visuals, and you have something to lose. You, you know, if you say the wrong thing, we're, we're, we're man to man looking at each other's eyes so we can uh, talk to each other. I'm sorry, I didn't, I, mean, feel, I didn't mean to gender you. I feel like I have, <laughs> no, but you know, I feel like I have nothing to lose. I feel like I have, you said that we have something to lose here. I have nothing to lose here with you. I have something to lose if I text somebody and they don't get the context. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, texting, so I'm a writer. When I text somebody, I try to give them everything I can that's not available to them otherwise. I try to give them a sense of how I feel, my tonality. I might write a paragraph. Have you ever written a paragraph to somebody? Oh, I'd love to do that. That sounds terrific. Everything will be great. How do you feel about it? And then they respond, fine. Yeah, or thumbs up. And you don't know what that means. You're like, Fine, yeah. like yeah. I'm an asshole, or fine, like it's great, yeah. or fine, like I've imposed upon you. All whatever you bring to the conversation, it, it all balloons in in the absence well, of of the things that are missing in face to face. I often conversation. talk into my text without editing, and they don't know what the hell it is. But yeah, okay. So anyway, the, I don't mean to, to our loyal that. listeners, please try to talk to one another, and we're listening to each other, Tom. And I think that's. Anyway, that's just great. So, all right, I want to talk about cancel culture on the right. I don't. I know you don't like this dichotomy right and left, but it's my show, so. <laughs> that's true. It is your show. <laughs> so, I made a note of just a few things that the right wing has canceled or tried to cancel. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. These are just a few: Pride display at Target, Bud Light, Disney, NPR. Uh, the FBI, CIA, books, Mr. and Mrs. Oh, Eminem, Eminem, <laughs> Eminem's, Mr. Potato Head, college professors, any mention of diversity, drag shows, people who defend drag shows, people who defend people who defend drag shows, any mention whatsoever of the existence of LGBTQ, like trans kids and stuff, the entire Department of Education, PBS, Oreos, and on and on and on. Your governor. Tom, you know, I shouldn't say your governor, the, the governor that you probably didn't vote for, has championed much of this and seriously harmed people and even caused some LGBTQ plus kids to kill themselves. I mean, this is dark, right? So they seem poised to just trigger themselves. What are your thoughts? And then I'll ask you about cancel culture. Okay, way. well, this is all fair. Um, it, it comes from a lens. And if I were to adopt a right lens, I could see that the left wants to cancel, um, you know, 
religion, heteronormativity, nor, I don't know how to say it, normativity, <laughs> anyway, whatever, whatever. Uh, the, the point I'm saying is it depends on if you come from this side, it's true. Everything that you said is absolutely true. But you then say, why are they such assholes? If you, if you kind of walk in their shoes for a minute on the, by the way, I don't buy, I don't buy this left, right. The middle is the one that really has to contend with what my friend who came to that bar and quoted, quote unquote, the German problem. The German problem is, do I, do I, do I become an activist and state my claim at risk to myself or do I duck my head and survive? Do I, do I pretend like things aren't happening? And um, I, I, don't know, I don't know the answer. The, you know, the, the hero answer is, if somebody does something wrong, you must step up and do something about it. But there's something wrong everywhere. I've got a good friend of mine, I won't name him. He, he said to me, when I see something wrong, I have to do something about it. Well, he's all fucked up. His life is, <laughs> his life is, you can't, yeah. there's something I've wrong learned, everywhere I've, I've learned, all the time. I've learned as, my, as I get older to, to pick my battles and I can't solve the world's problems. And I go to Walmart and I see somebody talking bad to their child. Now, when I worked for the state, children and families, I had a duty to say, you're not gonna talk to your child like that. But now, well, I don't go to Walmart anymore, but, and that's why. But in general, I just have to mind my own business. There are people who will just yell and scream and rear up ready for a fight. And they've never given themselves any time. They haven't taken five minutes to just stop and go, let me just not do anything for a minute, just breathe. I think the thing to do is to um, take some time and be deliberate about the communication. Most people uh, go off the handle because they are emotionally, um, they're angry. Right. Have you ever seen anybody that types all in capitals? <laughs> they go, this will not, <laughs> left wing, right wing, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I think these people have already gone insane. If that's how they're communicating, they've gone insane. They think that that's the tonality. So do you think cancel culture is worse on the so-called right or left? All right. I, I hate, first of all, I hate the title cancel culture. Okay. But let's take it and let's understand this isn't some new thing. It's not. It's got a new paradigm and cancel culture got a new cool title. It's just people saying, I don't like what you do. Cancel culture has existed since the dawn of man. They canceled Jesus. Jesus was walking around. He had some great ideas. They totally, they put him up on a cross and they canceled him. Cancel culture is is the current um, word that we use. It's it's the vernacular, the language. It's the current word we use, but it simply means a bunch of people who don't like what a other bunch of people are doing. They want to stop it. That's been going on forever. Why is it some new thing that just well, popped I think, up this week? I think because a lot of these politicians, it's not something they like, but they use this culture war to rile people up and They're get just, votes. They want power. They want election. They, you know, they have to say stuff to get votes. Uh, it's, okay, so it's, you don't think it's any worse, but do you think it is discussed more because of social media and, and cable news? Look, I mean, when I was a kid, we had Walter Conkright. Nothing has changed. And ABC. You want to really know what I think? Yes. Nothing has changed. Well, you're, you're an expert at nothing. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. <laughs> we have every, every great reason to come, come together as a species. Look how lucky we are. We're self-aware. We can do all kinds of great things. War happens. 
People don't like other people because of the way they look, the way they smell, the way they act, the way they, whatever. Uh, it's, 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 you can open that new bottle of wine if you want. But nothing has changed. People are still, you know, they laugh, they cry, they smile, they go to bed, they kill each other. Um, terrible things happen, wonderful things happen. Uh, we just have new devices and we can see around the world now in the biggest picture, in the biggest picture you can come up with, if you, if you, if you look at the universe, whatever we're doing is just some, you know, it's not, it, it's not even worthy of a cosmic fart. We're just off over here. There's so much stuff going on. It's mind blowing. So now we get down to what we're dealing with, all right? From a global perspective. And then you go different from this perspective. Then you go lower and then it's groups. And then you go lower and then it's individuals. And then you go lower and it's two individuals. Right. One person is different than the other. They don't agree on everything. They gotta go, they gotta go together and hang out and do stuff together. Maybe they will, or maybe she'll shoot him in the head. Or maybe he'll maybe he'll push her off a cliff. And we keep trying to like put people in groups and define and say the left and the right. The thing that pisses me off, you know, by the way, I only, I only in my car listen to right-wing radio. And most people would be like, well, right-wing radio is going to, you know, next thing you know, you're going to be Alex Jones. And next thing you know, you're going you're gonna to be talking about, uh, you know, Jewish lasers and this, that, and the other thing. And I don't, I don't do it that way. I listen to it. And Critically, with a critical it, mind. It puts me on firm ground. And the firm ground it puts me on is that everybody's chomping at the bit. Everybody's got anxiety. Everybody is scared. Everybody lives with fear. I think you, here's what you do. You look, where is it good? Where is it good? One place it's good is in theater. Yes. When a group of people get together and watch a play. Now, one person's going to go, this play sucks. They're going to stand up and they're going to leave. But most people are going to be in there together. They're going to watch the play. And the play is going to provoke all of them if it's a good play. And then they're all going to go out to dinner, maybe separate places. Maybe the left goes here, the right goes here, the rich go there, the poor go there. Who knows? The and they're going to part. talk about a world that they just saw that they've never personally experienced, but they have a connection to it because we're people, you know, we're human beings. We're fallible human beings. We let emotion get the better of us. We have genetics in play that we aren't able to have any control of just going. And so at the end, at, at the end of the day, we're kind of desperate clawing right, so creatures. But do, do we not all want to laugh? Do we not all want love? Do we not all want um, uh, some kind of empathy and compassion for how we are and for other right, people? Right, so, so theater brings people together. Food brings Storytelling. people together. Storytelling. Brings Storytelling is the root of all culture. Without culture, human beings cannot survive on the face of the earth. You don't have air conditioning without storytelling. Storytelling is a group of people around a fire sharing new knowledge and um, hopefully coming together to do better and better and better. And they're going to fight. They're going to disagree because that's just the way it is. It's always been that way. But we have knowledge. We've, we, we supposedly have come out of the Enlightenment. History tells us we have to go back in the cave. And we have to come out again. But it's important. And we have to go back in the cave. When they listen, when they're at this men's group or drumming circle or whatever it is, or women's group or AA group or whatever, it's important that they do that. They argue, they fight, whatever, but they don't cancel. I know you don't like that word, but they don't, they don't like, you know, just write the person off. I don't hate the word. I, I hate, um, I don't want people to cancel. I want people to listen and share. Now I have, I, I thought this was gonna be a lightning round, but some of it is gonna be more like a Florida afternoon shower because some of these need more than one response. But 
Um, actually, meditation, you already talked about. Taylor Swift. You're, okay. Killer, <laughs> right, meditation, Taylor Swift, now what? Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon is an extraordinary movie. Like any movie, you can come at it and criticize it. It wasn't made, you know, by um, an indigenous uh, person. You can say that. You can say it comes from a perspective. You can, you can criticize it all you want. That story just doesn't get told unless it's told. Now, now it's told, now everybody knows about it. And because we can have the conversation, people can go down any slide they want to investigate it, especially with the internet. You can say, well, here's what's wrong with it. Here's what's right with it. But now we're talking about that, that story. And you know, some aspects, look, this is Hollywood, they gotta make money and everything else, but I think they tried to, to do a good thing and they raised awareness of the issue and you can go down any road and discover more about it. So I should see it. Hell yeah. So Tom, I told you I'm not good at segues. So, um, so the next one is lobsters. <laughs> okay, sure. What would you like to know? Well, I know that this is a fetish of yours. Uh, no, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. I mean okay. an obsession. Uh, I, I love lobsters. Yeah, but you post a lot about lobsters. I you, love them. You have painted pictures of lobsters. I have. I associate you with lobsters. So what is this all about, Mr. Miller? Uh, when I was a kid, my parents, who were fairly well-to-do, which is probably why I'm spoiled and I have no abilities with money, we'd always go to the New England oyster house and have lobster. And I associate it with my dad. It's the same reason I go to the old barn. It's my connection with my dad. My dad used to watch Gunsmoke. So now I'm watching Gunsmoke at the old barn, drinking a beer like my dad. The, Did your dad watch MASH? Oh, my God. And Klinger was in drag. And I love MASH. And Klinger was in drag and et cetera, et cetera. And even, even Klinger now is criticized when, in fact, he was one of the eye-opening... Uh, people. Actually, everybody, my parents watched tons of people in drag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, drag wasn't, a, wasn't, wasn't some, you know, thing to, 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 to be. It's redonkulous. Yeah, so lobsters. Removed from society lobsters. or whatever. Lobsters. fantastic. So lobsters, all right. Um, my favorite was the, uh, and they're, they're sort of, they're langoustines technically, but anyway, the warm water South African lobster tail just most exquisite. It's pretty freaking expensive too. And they're little tiny things. My God, those things are amazing. But I love lobster. When I, I love a, them too. When I was a kid, it's like this machine, you gotta disassemble it to get into it and figure out how things work. And, and, uh, and then it's life, it's actual life. What a mysterious and interesting and animal. And an excuse to eat butter. It's a, it's a delivery system for, for butter. <laughs> yeah, and butter, you know, I had a very young, non-sexual relationship with Julia Child. Oh, and, tell us about that. And Julia Child, same thing. You know, when I was a kid, I used to take pre-prepared stuff mm -hmm. and kind of arrange it on the plate, like a, like a little snooty Michelin restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I would serve it to my parents when I was like eight years old. I didn't know how to cook. We had lots of but butter. But I knew how to warm We're, stuff up. Yeah, butter. lots of butter. Butter, butter, yeah, butter. Lots of butter. You know, I saw, there are two shows. There's the documentary, I think it's Julia and Julia Meryl Streep. And then there's the Netflix, they're both great, but I actually like the one that's not a documentary, but I recommend both. Yeah, well, it, Ju Julia Child, what, a, what an amazing character. You, you really, I, I, I feel that the West would still be eaten 
you know, oh, uh, yeah. meatloaf and, yeah. oh, and uh, Swanson's. Swanson's uh, and, and uh, what did we talk about earlier? We talked about Vienna sausage uh, and aspic. Uh, you know, nauseous. All the 70s. Oh, my dad ate that. Early 70s food. My dad ate those things. My yeah. mother wouldn't touch them. But yeah. Um, but, that, but, but lobster connects me with uh, my dad and then come to discover they're just extraordinary um, you know, creatures. This is the only totally unscripted show I've done. I swear and affirm that as an officer of the court. And I think that <laughs> you are one of the few people I can do this. You're a thespian. You do things off the cuff. And Okay, so the next one... And again, you have not seen these. Jada Pinkin Smith. <laughs> Let's pass. What's next? Lady Pearl. Lady Pearl. And you might have to explain who they are. So because... Lady Pearl was a show host and drag queen at the University of Florida, which is a very long-lived and... Uh, Do you mean the University Club? The University Club. What did I say? The <laughs> University of Florida. Yeah. University, University of Florida, which the, is a long-lived drag organization. The University Club yeah, yeah. has a great and American a football bar. team. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, so the University of Florida is a great gay bar. <laughs> nope, I got it. The University Club. Great. And they don't have a good football team. Great the University long-lived Club. gay bar. I don't think they... Actually, Lady Pearl... Um, from what I understand, played football. She's okay. a big linebacker right. size. The people at the University of, uh, of Florida, would uh, it would behoove them to know that the university club, the, the gay people are the most patriotic for the University of Florida. They are, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about now. They, Get they, back to Lady Pearl. They, okay, Lady Pearl. This is the red wine, but it's okay. Well, can I tell you, while you're thinking, let me tell you a Lady Pearl anecdote. Okay, please. They had this thing called like a pride uh, fest. Like, and I had this cute little puppy named Pierre. He's a Coton de Tullier. I met Pierre. He is oh. a Coton de Tullier, which is snooty. Barbara yeah. Streisand has one, but I, I'm really not a snob. And so he was a puppy and everybody knows Pierre. They love him. And we were downtown at this thing and I ran into Lady Pearl and... I ran into her before she put on her makeup and she was Will. And I said, uh, I'd like to have a picture of Pierre with you. And she says, now? I said, no, not now. You look, you look better as a Lady Pearl. So on the stage, this is true story. On the stage, she picks up this baby. Nobody claps about the baby. She picks up Pierre and they roaring, clapping, everything. And my spouse was coming from Starbucks and my spouse said, Bill, you gotta do something. And I said, what? Lady Pearl has a cigarette and a cocktail and I had this cute little furball <laughs> dog and we thought Pierre was gonna go up in flames. Oh, no. You can't make this shit up, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's my Lady Pearl story now. That's I gave great. you time to think about it. Well, La Lady Pearl was truly one of the great drag queens uh, of, of the Americas. I mean, you know, Divine, for example, fantastic. But Lady Pearl, a much sharper wit, so entertaining, and Lady Pearl really broke the envelope for diversity. Lady Pearl, when I was doing my show in punk clubs, I did a show with Lady Pearl on Cox Cable 8, which was our local, you know, like community, uh, community TV cable. It antenna. got so quickly shut down by the, <laughs> by the religious faction because it was mostly religious shows. They hated the show so much. And then I did, I did uh, you know, shows at punk clubs and straight clubs, fraternity clubs. 
And I invited Lady Pearl. They loved her. And Lady Pearl, I, I, I dare to say that because of her audacity and my tenacity, Lady Pearl introduced drag into, into these other situations. And everybody had so much fun with yes. it. So it's much like, you know, fun. these people who are talking about drag, story, drag, uh, drag queen story time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, parents have to be with the, there with their children. Nobody has to go to it. And the children, a lot of them learn to, re they enjoy reading because they look up and they see the glitter. And so anyway, the world is better. We agree the world is a better place because of drag queens. Uh, so. Drag can be blue and off color and can be uh, provocative and sexual, but it can also be absolutely entertaining and fascinating and fun. It lets, it lets people explore um, and understand each other. Do you know that on Scooby-Doo, the animated show, Jonathan Winters has a drag character on <laughs> Scooby-Doo? Everybody loved it. They loved Jonathan Winters in, in, in drag. They loved Geraldine. Yeah. They love Shanene. Drag is drag is just simply an extension without it, the of world, people understand understanding the opposite without sex. That's it, all it is. Without it, the world would be a drag. I know I'm not good with puns. That's a terrible pun. I know, and I'm terrible at it. But you said when things are really bad, they're funny. People uh, acting as if they are someone else and learning about each other through the process of acting is a good thing. So it's okay that I'm bad at puns and I occasionally do it. I can only do it, it with is. you. Okay. If you do bad puns at my show, you'll be a beloved I'm hero. Really bad at it. Yeah. I'm better with sarcasm, and I just want to make sure it's not sardonic. But sarcasm, it's okay. I should be me, right? Okay. Do you, as the kids say. Okay. This next one, <laughs> this is not a good segue. We go from Lady Pearl to Have you heard of Donald Trump? Is that a, that guy that? Yes. Okay, well, for, I have to do this, Tom. I have to read you his recent Christmas message. This was like, he. this is real, and it was just oh, a few days ago. I know I it. I want you to no, read no, it. I, I'm going to read it I because it's it, real. I, I have verified it. You can go to Snopes. Yeah. Okay, this is Donald Trump. Oh, God, it's hard to get through this. It's really not funny. Merry Christmas, <laughs> Tom. You know, I think I'm getting your red wine through osmosis. Okay, I'm going to try to keep it together. I'm going to read this. It's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. I can't, can't read it. <laughs> you know why you can't read it? Because laughter is the highest state. And while you're laughing, you cannot go to the darkness. Okay, so I'm going to do this. Mary, <laughs> shit. Cannot go to the darkness. God. You won't be able to read it. Don't I'm gonna, read it. No, I'm going to read it. No, everybody knows. Tom, no, they his don't. Me his message. His no, no, I'm going to read it. Merry Christmas to all, including crooked Joe Biden's only hope, deranged Jack Smith, included also our world leaders, both good and bad, but none of which are evil and sick as evil and sick as the thugs we have inside our country who, with their open borders, inflation, all caps, Tom, inflation, Afghanistan <laughs> surrender, green new scam, high taxes, no energy independence, woke military, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Iran, all electric car lunacy, and so much more are looking to destroy our once great USA, all caps, may they rot in hell. Again, Merry Christmas. Oh, God. That what, was what do you want, my response to that? Well, I'm not done. Okay. So, and he attacked Congresswoman Debbie Dingell of Michigan, who her husband died, and, you know, he claimed to have had a fabulous, you know, going away for him, and she, he thinks she owes him, and all this blah, blah, blah. So she told the New York Times, quote, 
After he went after me, quite frankly, there were men outside of my house with assault weapons. And I have had threats and just have security. And then he quoted, he, he just posted this word cloud. I want you to look at this word cloud. He really posted this. He has, now he has nothing, the word nothing there, but it's small. He has the word economy, power, dictatorship, dictator, America, border, corruption. And what, Tom, is the biggest word? Revenge. Okay. Oh, so what's your question? Your thoughts? <laughs> All right. I'm going to give you a quote. And it will it'll be a, a paraphrase, but anybody can look this up. Donald Trump told a story that a serviceman said, excuse me, sir. There are people talking outside the window. That's okay. That, that's all right. I just want to let our listeners know. Yeah. He said, I was talking to a, a person in the military, and that person said to me, I have seen people die on the battlefield to the right of me and to the left of me, but I have never seen anything braver than when you took on Hillary Clinton. Now, for Trump to say such a thing, that, that should be it. That's the, first of all, he's lying. God, I need some Zofran now. I'm so nauseous. He said that story to, as, as uh, Homer Simpson would say, embiggen himself. <laughs> but you have to understand, that story is so reprehensible. Yes. Everything Donald Trump does, he is, he, he is, he is, he is the father of lies. He, he has lied so much and in so many different ways, like not just lies, provable lies. People and think people he's like, smart. Well, well, Biden did some lying. Well, every politician's done some lying, but they haven't just made everything up. He's made so much stuff up, but f forget all that. Even if you disagree with me, even if you disbelieve me, even if you're on the right and you're, you're a big fan of Trump and you think he really helped this country somehow, he said, a serviceman said, I saw people die to the right of me and to the left of me, but only you and your engagement in a debate with Hillary Clinton, that's true bravery or whatever. You just go on Google and look no, this I up. No, I believe you. Do I need that to, should be it. Tom, do I need to take my MAGA hat off? Yeah. Okay. They do need to take your okay. MAGA hat off. You need to take your Fox News hat off. So do you agree take with me? Take all your hats off. They're off. So do you agree with me that um, he's not smart and brilliant and a successful business person? He's just a grifter. But what, what I wonder, though, is I think, you know, I don't think he believes any of this, but sometimes could it? Could it kind of blend into delusion where he does talk himself into some of this stuff? Because yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, as, as I've said to many people, people who are interested in learning how to be a psychic, you go and you, you discover that psychics learn techniques called cold and hot reading. Hot reading is where they research you and, and they tell you things that you imagine they could never have found, but of course it's all on the internet. Mm -hmm. Cold readings are where they take a stab. So let me just be a psychic with you for a minute. Okay, is this, all right. this is cold? Yeah, this is a cold reading. I'm getting, I'm getting an R, R. Does that make sense? No. Anything with R? No. A relative, perhaps. No. <laughs> do you have any relatives All right, with an okay. R in there? Okay. Do you no. have any relatives with an R? Yes, in their my name? mother. But of What's your name? Rosemary. Hit Rosemary R. She wants you to know about something shiny, sparkly, a jewel 
what jewel comes to mind? Some jewel. We got it, Tom. Is she wearing a jewel? We got cold. Did you get a jewel? I have a brilliant and, audience. And, 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 we we but got. Let me let me ask. But but let's keep going. Is there a jewel? Just think. no. Is there anything shiny? No. <laughs> There's nothing shiny. You connect with your mother. Not one oh, thing. connect with my mother. Yeah. Oh yeah, she wore Rose. a lot of bling, but it was yeah, tasteful. That's it. It was tasteful. That's it. Okay. Now I've learned the technique, but as I do the technique and I get tons of money, I start thinking. Maybe it's not a technique. Maybe I really am psychic. And then I play into it. And now I'm psychic. I don't know any techniques. There's no magic involved. I'm the guy. I'm really doing it. So I thought is, it was a trick, but now I know that it's true. So Trump, like, uh, you know, his friend Howard Stern said that Trump uh, did this for publicity and he didn't expect to win. And actually, when he after he had won... He, does, he did seem sort of confused, like these people voted for me and all this. But now it's like a two-way thing where he feeds off of all of that. And he may even believe that he's the Messiah or whatever. Yeah. Here's the deal. People validate you. Mm -hmm. You say, am I really good at it? And then it's like, well, a thousand people are cheering for you. I love affirmation. Now, what if a hundred thousand people are booing, but a thousand are cheering? Well, you just go where the cheering is. And then you just, uh, you know, you live in a world. You live in a bubble and you, you, you just keep going. They're cheering. They but love Tom, me. They love I feel me. like you're so self-actualized that you you are able to handle um, detractors probably better than Trump. A lot. <laughs> That's a low bar. But I mean, I guess we all need affirmation. So uh, look, I don't have a bunch of money. I'm not leading any political party. I don't. I can't go out and eat caviar or whatever or or, or hamburgers with ketchup like. Okay. Maybe well, you fair. could actually. Donald you Trump could does. be George Santos. You could fake it. And no, you could no, no. George, well, you have too no. much ethics, but you're a performer. George Santos is Donald Trump's turd. Yes. George Santos is, is what you get in the in the world of. But George of Santos Trump. is smarter than Trump, I think. Uh, he may be. George Santos is. <laughs> well, how did we get into this? I, you started it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't interview. <laughs> well, me. no, we're talking about nothing and everything, and yeah. today is everything. Look, I don't like. I don't like any of them, okay? I don't like anybody. In order to represent many, many people, you have to have a certain level of ego. But I'll tell you one thing about ego, and this might be a concluding point. You know what really works? Science. You know why science works? Because you have to replicate the same thing all over the world, and everybody's in competition to prove either yes, you're right, or no, you're wrong. But it has to be replicated. Science is self-correcting. It shits out the old way and continues with whatever we have the best evidence for until something better comes along. In order for science to work, scientists have to be egotistical. They have to believe that they can prove you wrong or that they can prove you right. It has right. to be disprovable. Ego, personal ego is important in science but it must not be in the results of science. The results of science must be the science itself. And in just the last hundred years, let me rephrase that, in, in, in just the tiny little spurt that humanity has existed, we have developed the means and perhaps the will to destroy all life on planet Earth. Like dinosaurs, microbiology has lived infinitely longer. We're just a little pimple. We just popped in for a nanosecond and in that tiny little time, in the exponential growth of humanity, we have the means and the will to destroy the earth. Okay, since you brought up science, we saw during COVID that so many people in the United States, they wanted the certainty about vaccines and masks and all that. And when he got new information, he presented it. 
And what we knew 10 years ago is not, and so people are just very uncomfortable with that. And I think a lot of people just didn't, don't understand science. Well, it's like politicians, you know, they say, oh, he flip-flopped. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he flip-flopped to get other votes, that there were more votes if, if he picks this point of view. But it could also mean that in light of new information, he realized he was wrong. In light and of new information. And he went with, with the, the reality of the day in which he had different information to, to um, make his judgments. I'm most proud of myself when I change my opinion about something. And th this happened recently. There was a real debate, Tom, a real debate on NPR. And it was about nuclear. Uh, and, you know, I've... There's a lot of nuclear scientists at UF that kind of talk people into it, that it's a good idea. But after listening to this debate, I changed to being anti-nuclear because the risk is, anyway, that's a rabbit hole. But yeah, uh, so have you considered writing a play about all of this madness? I already did. No, about this Trumpian- I already did. Oh, what is the name of it? It's called Audience. Where can my audience find your- this? Uh, It's touring the- um, <laughs> It's touring the film festivals in 2024, but we have occasional showings of it. I'll be showing it, um, you know, from the date of this, you and I talking, um, tomorrow at 6 p.m. You're welcome to come. Oh, wow. I'm going to be in Orlando, but... Okay. Or you can read a review of it. Just look, Tom Miller Audience UK Film Review. We got five out of five. Uh, you know what? I'll put a link to this on the podcast. Okay. It's about manners, listening, storytelling, and uh, finding ourselves in our own personal hell if we don't do the right thing. I'm listening. That's it. I'm listening. I'm done. Can you handle a few more of these and then we'll wrap up? Sure, whatever okay. you want. Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> He's my worst person of the year, one of them. There's so many. Um, That'd be a good play. It is what you see. That's a good, you know, he did drag. There's, if you Google, I, I invite everyone I to Trump Google. Trump was in drag too. Yeah. They're, they're, they and Trump do. grabbed his brass. Yeah, they all, all do drag. They're, okay. They're all, so nothing, you know, nothing, there's nothing to say about him. There's nothing. Speaker Mike Johnson, one of my worst persons of the year, because according to Congresswoman Cheney, he knows better. And this is all just a lie. He's going to be just a passing fart. Richard Spencer and your exorcism of him. Now, I should yeah, explain. We destroyed his show. But let, tell us, tell everyone who Richard Spencer is and, oh, and your a, exorcism. He's just a, he's just a self-serving um, racist, uh, you know, a guy who feeds on attention. A white supremacist. A white supremacist. And he... he he, he was threatening to come. We always get a raging, self-centered, egoist, white supremacist who's very popular on social media for half a minute. They always come to UF, and UF always pays them to show up. Why? Just to make a noise? I, I don't know. Maybe UF needs When money. he was here, there were thugs running around with guns. I mean, downtown. Oh, yes. Yeah. People thing. drove from other countries to support oh, this guy scary. and do their little, you know, People like Rage. shut their door, lock their doors. Yeah, look, look. We as a as a country, we def, we defeated uh, Nazi Germany. We should be proud of that and rally around that. Nazi Nazis like should be walking around in shame. It's like a nightmare. That I, when am I going to wake up from? But tell me about your exorcism. So we, so you know, we as a as a performance art thing, my my show, the Tabernacle of Hedonism, we have a character who does exorcisms uh, to banish uh, evil, and so we did an exorcism and. The, the point of the exorcism was that uh, Richard Spencer's speech would go up in flames, and it did. <laughs> and uh, I don't believe in, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm fairly um, spiritually agnostic, shall we say. Yeah, you're um, rational. But we are 100% claiming responsibility for destroying Richard Spencer's message. 
And we didn't prevent him from speaking. He got to speak. He destroyed himself. Yeah, hopefully my audience knows that this is not a literal exorcism, but you never know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, two more, and then we'll try to wrap up. And, okay. And we're going to try to wrap up on a positive note, so I'll let you mull that over. Okay, well, we're all going to die. Okay, great. President Biden. Uh, here's how I like to explain this. Nowadays, if you watch the weather report, they tell you what the weather is scientifically, and, and then they add in how it feels. So they say... The temperature today is uh, 65 degrees, but the feel-like temperature is going to be 50. <laughs> this is going to feel cold, but it's only 65 degrees. The feel-like temperature of President Biden is that everything's going down the tubes. Uh, we're being infiltrated by, you know, uh, 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 illegal immigration. The facts are that uh, the economy is up. Gas prices are going down. He took us uh, out of... Uh, a real mess and into recovery and that the uh, the United States deficit is way lower. Trump ran it up. He's running it down. So actually, Biden's been, by and large, regardless of his gaffes, whether he's old, whether he stutters, whatever your opinion of him is, the factual matter is, even if it doesn't feel good, the temperature is pretty good. Do you know what grade I give? Now, I have a rubric. You know, I teach. I have a rubric and I have all these empirical measures. Do you know what grade I give him? No. An A. Well, but it doesn't matter what I think or you think because people, people are not people are irrational actors when it comes to politics. Yeah, people, in general, people want to go to Denny's and they want to see a movie. And they want to fuck each other, and then they want to they want to mow the grass <laughs> and and maybe go to an art show and go. I could do that. In which order and, are and, they going? Any and all. It doesn't matter. Watch TV. Well, binge something on Netflix. You know the minute. Uh, something happens that they have no knowledge of and no awareness of, and they haven't studied history, they are the first people to jump into the back seat, get online, and type in all capitals what needs to be done. So I have to do, to talk about the, the donkey in the room, and that is his age. And before you say anything, you know, there we all know people in their 70s who are having, you know, they're falling and having a hard time. He's 81, but somebody who's... A, but what I tell people is he surrounds himself with smart people like Anthony Blinken. And, you know, and that is that is most of what being a president is like George W. Bush. I mean, you know, it's it's who around. He didn't he surrounded himself by people that got into waterboarding and all that. But uh, yeah. but but what do you think about that? Because um, everybody's talking about I this. can't I, I, I can only address that. And this will be evasive. I'm telling you it will be evasive because I don't want to address that. I'll address it this way. Why is it that these are the only people we have to choose from? Everybody says that. Why is it that these are the only people we have, have to choose answer. from? I have an answer. Why? When, when Clinton, and I don't call her by her first name because every, all these commentators do that with Speaker Pelosi and all that. When Secretary Clinton ran, there were a lot of people in the Senate and governors who were going to run, like Senator Sanders and all these people, Biden, when he was younger. And they all said, it's her time we can't beat her. And it turns out, I mean, I know she got the popular vote and all that, but it turns out she wasn't really a good candidate and they should have. And it's more democratic to have a greater field. But it is just, I don't know, it's just this, There, are, there's this apparatus. Now, I think they, now, right now, I think that they wish they had and it's too late. People, my students are like, why can't somebody run? It's too late to get on the ballot in all these places. I think the governor of Michigan would be probably one of the better ones. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's just now there are people running in the Republican primary. I don't, you know. <laughs> but you know, I, I will say that Haley and all those people—they are very hard right now. They look 
reasonable. It's like Mike Johnson has a tie in spectacles, but Mr. Rogers look, but, but they're, they're, I think they're further to the right than Trump because I don't think he has an ideology. He's going to blow up the world and destroy humanity. Okay, so all right, Vice President. I take it you're not voting for Trump. <laughs> this is this politi- This podcast is neither right wing nor left wing. We have no wings. We can't fly, and I'm not going to reveal that. But I'm not. So, Vice President Harris. I have no idea. So there's a there's a, a writer who wrote this. You can in the Atlantic. It's called the the Kamala Harris problem. Right. And she agreed to do an interview with me, and I hope it's going to be in January. It's going to be an amazing interview. And she talks about, you know, is it sexism? Is it racism? Is it the White House? But, you know, it's like she just hasn't found her footing. I just wish she'd be her authentic self and not worry about what people think, like the angry one and all that. Like when she was a prosecutor, now some say she was too good, but when she was like interrogating uh, that Supreme Court, uh, Kavanaugh, she was great. She should just be herself and be tough and whatever. But anyway, that's my sort right, of... Vice presidents are just, they're just in the, in the tail of, of the car right, engine. But, but pe- you know, right, but right now... At because, their best. Right, but because of his age, everybody, all these people, all the people in the Republican Party are running against her because they just, they're putting this thing out there where she could be president all this. I, I actually think she'd be a good president, but nobody cares what I think. All right. So, do you have anything else to say before we try to wrap up on a positive note? I'm not sure um, what it's going to be. It. Let's 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 try to wrap up on a positive note. <laughs> I'm. You must have something else to add. No, I don't. I, we covered a lot of stuff, and uh, I've I admittedly fumbled my way through some of it. Um, but you're really good at fumbling with this, uh, you know, Coppola Merlot, Francis Coppola Merlot. And you know what? I'm really happy about that. Now, this is a good value, right? Yeah. Oh, now, I should say this is not product placement. I make no money on this podcast. Yeah. I lose money on this podcast. Yeah. No, get the claret when it's on sale at Publix. So it says Francis Coppola. Yeah, get the Coppola claret, or or you can get the uh, the Coppola... Um, Merlot 2021. It's like, what, 10 bucks? Yeah, you can get Sophia, which is a rosé, and I'm not big on rosés, uh, but it's a lovely rosé and a beautiful bottle. It's a table wine, it's very affordable, and when you're done, you take the label off, use the bottle for a rose. My favorite, this again is not product placement or advertising, my favorite liquor store in the world is Dorn's Liquor. Mm. And what I've learned, I walk in there, the guys know me, and they Mm. just say, oh, Bill, what's the occasion? They're having turkey, get this, whatever, it's Mm -hmm. a potluck. Mm -hmm. People think if you pay more for something, it's better. Yeah, They'll say, this wine's great, and I'm like, really, is it good? It's only $15, should I get this $40? And they're like, don't Mm. tell anybody, but this one's better. Yeah. So anyway, so... Um, One day I'll tell you the two-buck Chuck story. Okay. Maybe on our next podcast. <laughs> well, it's only two parts, so... Okay. T- this, this year, maybe next year, if you'll have me back. <laughs> <laughs> so, <okay>, so <laughs> you know, so we're going to try to wrap up on a positive note. Okay, so what are you looking forward to in the next, in 2024? Um, we need a solution to adversity, and it comes from creativity intuition. I hope people stop more often and just don't say anything. Just shut the F up, sit in a chair for 10 minutes and check in with yourself. And and don't even check in with yourself. Just be quiet. Just close your eyes, sit there for 10 minutes or 20 minutes is better, maybe twice a day. And just sit there. Don't do anything. And give yourself that gift. And then enjoy each other. And where we find differences May we respect them, and where we find commonality, may we embrace them, 
because if we don't, we are fucked. And that is the most optimistic I get. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed. Um, so I want you to repeat that quote. <laughs> I can't. That's it. No, you have to type it no, out. No, repeat the first quote that you said, just the simple quote. The ultimate solution to adversity is creativity and intuition. And that is where we are going to end this podcast. Tom, thank you so much. I mean, I know you're busy, B, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time. It would have been different if I was sober, and I'm glad it's not. I'm glad you're not. That wraps up this podcast. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others. 